0: The Argyle Podcast, the official podcast of Plymouth Argyle Football Club with Charlie Price.
1: Yes, this is the Argyle Podcast. I am Charlie Price, and we are coming towards the end of summer. Transfer window's over. We've had um, a terrific start to the season some superb football Um, and it's time to introduce you really to someone who uh, we've had a few calls to get on the podcast. You'll know his voice and his face actually um, from being part of the Argyle TV team over the last couple of years Um, and it is Aaron Cusack who spent time uh, at Argyle as a player, a young player, um, coming through the ranks in the 90s and then uh, more recently, and for a prolonged period of time, um, as part of the academy as a coach, um, and coaching you know, players like Adam Randall, Michael Cooper, uh, Luke Jeffcott, even Sam Gallagher and Lloyd-Jones, who've gone off and applied their trades elsewhere. Um, and he's well known for his sort of ta- tactical analysis of the game on Argyle TV. And that's why we've had the calls to get you in, Aaron, and on the podcast. Welcome, firstly.
2: Thank you, Charlie. It's nice to be here. And It's nice to know that people other than perhaps my mum have asked for... Well, it know. did
1: come in from a Mrs. and Mr. Cusack. Oh, right. Uh, okay. A, a I don't know
2: them. I don't <laughs> know them. <laughs> um,
1: but it is... It's a, it's, um, we obviously have, have seen you over the last couple of years on Argyle TV and su- supporters will have. Mm. And every time we introduce you, it's former academy coach. Yeah. And we, we've had you talking about Adam Randall and Michael Cooper and... And the like, but your affiliation with Argyle it does go back a lot further than just being an academy coach, doesn't it?
2: It does. It started when I was 11 years old. You know, I'm a Plymouth person, born and bred, and um, I was fortunate enough to be called to what was then the center of excellence back in the 90s as, a, as an under 11 player. Um, and I went all the way up through the age groups and was offered um, a YTS scholarship you know, more commonly now known as a, a scholarship in, yeah. in its sense. Um so the two year scholarship as a YT, uh, where I spent two years there. Didn't didn't get offered a pro. Um and was released and then went back into kind of the local football circuit. Um but was always curious about coaching, always kind of enjoyed that side of it. Um and then that led me when I was 22, so kind of three or four years after I got released to come back into the academy as a coach, mm. to kind of try and give a little bit back, I think, to people who'd helped support my game in my formative years.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and obviously continued that all the way through, um, uh, leaving in 2016 and then working at Marjon. yeah part of the the coaching course that's there leading yeah. the coaching courses up there and still work with players one-to-one quite a lot
2: yeah that? so I spent 12 13 years in the academy working from started with the under 11s you know my first two-year groups were um Lloyd-Jones and Christian Walton and Sam Gallagher Ben Purrington had them for two years and then you know the likes of Lewis Rooney and and people like that came came next and you know, as I gradually worked my way through, I started to go up the years a little bit. So I started with the 11s and finished in 2016 with the under 16s, um, and that's when the likes of you know Mr. Randall, um, we got him through to to a scholarship and, and kicked on from there. But the year before that, it was Mike Cooper, Ryan Law, Luke mm. Jeff Gott and players of that of that level, and you know, and, and that that allowed me. What I liked is I was already working at Marjon as a lecturer back then, um, so I went in. and did. I did it after I left argyle um at 18 i went into the dockyard actually and did a four-year apprenticeship in really? fabrication not many people know that um yeah so i, I went complete change of tact into the engineering world that realized yeah realized after three years of study that i, I really don't want to do this <laughs> f- for the rest of my life yeah. um and thought well what do i enjoy well i enjoy sport and i enjoy coaching and you know i looked at marge and it was jamie morrison hill actually jamie was a former young pro years ago that said to me that he was off to university and I said to him well how are you going to uni like you know we did a course and when we were YTs together he said oh no I used the points I got there to to get me in I said well I can probably do the same then so mm. I did and I applied and I I enrolled on a course of sport applied sports science for coaching because I was always intrigued about the scientific bits of, mm-hmm. of performance and I wanted to link it to coaching and did that and then as part of that um I undertook my UEFA B license quite early, again through Jamie and I communicating, and and that's when Dave Leonard, I was playing for Dave Leonard at Lisgard, said about he was the um, academy manager, not mm-hmm. the head of like youth, but the academy manager. I think Stuart Gibson was in charge at the time, and he said about coming in and getting involved in, you know, working with the young players. So I did, and that was like 13 years on. I left in 2016.
1: Wonderful. Uh, we also uh, mustn't forget to to mention. Um, The ATEC grip socks as well. Indeed, founder, yeah, creator, indeed, inventor. If you if you read Premier Five, so that you can can add that as well. Yeah, I'm not convinced I invented them, but yeah, coach, yeah, creator and dockyard worker. Absolutely,
2: that's the fourth strand. If I ever need a job, I'm a qualified tradesperson in fabrication. I can go back to that trade. I hope I never have to, but yeah, who knows? But yeah, the ATEC stuff is is only been recently launched in the last twelve months or so, and you know, it's a it's a funny story. It's perhaps best suited for another day but it was basically in a nutshell I wanted to create a performance sock that I thought people would be proud of um, I've got my own coaching brand ATEC Coaching um, which I'm extremely proud of I put high elements of of excellence and detail into that and I wanted to do that for a performance stock, uh, sock and you know fortunately five or six of the boys in the first team are wearing them regularly for training and in games and it you know I get a pride out of seeing them wear them not only because they're doing me a favor because they enjoy wearing them and they do a good Mm. thing and they're performance related and yeah so let's just see where that goes in the future but i'm excited about that as well
0: subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to never miss an episode this is the argyle podcast
1: right let's get into the real cruxes we'll chat about everything we've just mentioned in a little bit more detail now um but the way I normally start these is just mm-hmm. to go straight back to the beginning. Okay, so sort of not quite earliest memories, but earliest sort of football feelings and what w- what was your childhood like growing up? Yeah, in the southwest and 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 how how influential was football as as part of your childhood?
2: Very influential. I mean, my dad played locally um, for for many years, and I used to follow him. I've got an older brother, uh, Matt, who's now manager at Helston and. You know, him and I grew up like normal children, just playing football in the street from kind of dawn until dusk and, you know, FA singles, all that kind of thing. Mm. And we ended up going to a football centre just around what well, used to be there, the Mayflower Centre, playing for, for the Mayflower. But we didn't, I didn't start playing until under 10. Um, at all? Like, no, not really? really, not for a club, because yeah. back then it wasn't like it is now where they started under threes and six, seven, whatever. It was back then it was yeah. affiliated under 11s was the first recognised DJM kind of entry. So kind of 10 years old, we started joining in and around there. And we'd been kicking around for a couple of years. And um, I went through there. And and when when I look back now, I thought, well, how was I picked up by Argyle so quickly within like two years? And it's because of all the formative football I did, the street Mm. football in particular. Not so much structured coaching, just playing out there, 1v1s, 1v3s, 2v1s, all those types of things. And I think that helped me um, springboard quite quickly. And also playing with my brother's friends a lot more, a little bit older, you know, I was a lot smaller. Um, and, you know, my dad was a big, big fan of football. He was to take me to, to, to the games here at Home Park. And um, we're big Liverpool fans. My dad's side are from Liverpool. Um, I think they supported Liverpool just to spite my granddad. He was an Everton fan, <laughs> you know. So my dad and my Back. uncle supported Liverpool, and
1: so did I. Um, well, I always find that incredible about that, you know, the yeah. Liverpool Everton rivalries, because it is it's literally your dad could support a different or your mum could support a different club to you. Yeah. I mean, out of spite. It, well, gone. I don't know.
2: It just it was just random why my granddad, you know, my dad's dad was an ever, you know, a, a, a real passionate Evertonian. And yet, my uncle and my dad wanted to support Liverpool, and I followed. And during that period, the eighties, yeah. you know, Liverpool were very successful. Yeah. It's a bit like you see the young kids wearing Man City shirts around Plymouth now. You know, Man City are very successful, so I probably just jumped on the winning bandwagon a little bit, but yeah. um, just followed it through and just loved football, loved watching it, loved playing it. You know, and just loved everything about it. Mm. Um, that that that,
1: that um, playing with older brothers, kind of pathways is something that you hear a lot with people who actually end up either playing professionally or doing well in the game. It's be, it kind of because you, you have to learn maybe the darker arts or something. Even even just playing in the park, which is sometimes yeah. the cruelest yeah, place yeah. to play, isn't it? Yeah,
2: it is. It is, and, and it's a bit of a free for all, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, kind of. What's good about it? I mean, look back now and I watch the kids play in the modern world. They they very we're very good at creating our own rules. Yeah. So that's a foul. That's not a foul. No, I'm not we're going through there, and, and
1: somehow people always stick to them. Yeah, they do. <laughs>
2: it's almost like you know, unregulated rules that everyone kind of agrees to, and it was it was great, and you know we just we just loved it. Like kids still do it today, and I'd like to be fair. I'd like to see more of it down the park, just playing mm. jumpers for goalpost approaches, and just out practicing with a ball. And it wasn't seen as practice; it was just enjoyment. And um, that's that's what enabled me to get a, sp- a springboard into the early game, uh, early formats of the game, and push on from there. Really,
1: yeah. When you when you then had your first sort of approaches from from Argyle, mm. I, I don't, you know, I don't know whether it's any different to what it would have been back then to what it is now when a professional club is sort of interested in getting you within their youth yeah. ranks. But what um, what was th- what was that like? Because you've already said you were only like 10, 10, 11 at the time.
2: Yeah, 11. So it was there was a chap called Steve Rogers. So he was working for what is now the Argo Community Trust. So he was doing some full-time work there. And I played in the same school team as his son. Hmm. And I think he watched me play three or four times. And it was one particular game game that I I played particularly well and I can't remember if he said to my mum or even said to me you know I can get you I think the 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 center of excellence need to have a look at you and I was like oh okay you know and back then it was like the center of excellence was like it is now with most kids it's like the pinnacle isn't it the local area it's like wow you know they they think I'm all right they um why don't I set something up and you come in for some some taster sessions just to see how you cope and I remember going in off my first session was down at Harper's Park and I'll never ever forget it because Steve Rogers had the link with Argyle and we used in the school team we used to wear the Argyle kit Mm. and one year he got all our names so we had a number I was number nine (laughs) and I had Cusack on the back (laughs) and it was really cool you know like you you know young kid but back then it wasn't that that um, evident it wasn't that obvious with with other kits and so having your name and it felt quite privileged and special and I remember wearing that kit to my first session <laughs> but I was but I had a jumper on and when I got there I was like oh I've heard of these kids I've heard of him he's a good player and I, I didn't take my jumper off because no. I didn't want people to think that I was who's this kind of young new guy coming oh, in really? and thinking and I was so hot yeah. but I wouldn't take it off and my dad said I remember then the car journey the way home, he said why don't you take your jumper off and I said well I didn't want to cause, and he said well you needed to because he was red as a strawberry but <laughs> It was just, I remember it vividly like a child's decision not to take, because I didn't want to be judged. Like, who's this person, you know, coming into an established setup? You know, remember, you're going into an environment where they don't want you to come in because you could take their space. But thankfully, the next session, I didn't wear my kit. I just wore (laughs) my Liverpool kit, I think, and, you know, managed to do all right and push on from there.
1: If you'd have scored, though. During
2: that, during that training session. You yeah. Kind of taking the, taking <laughs> yeah, the jumper up, And back. it was a woolen jumper as well, so <laughs> no. it was quite like, thick, you know, but wow. uh, fond memories. Yeah,
1: yeah. So as you kind of, because clearly you, you impress enough in your Liverpool kit to, um, yeah. to to kind of be signed on, I, I suppose, in the centre of accents or be, be part of it. So as you were kind of going through year by year and you were there from an 11-year-old to an 18-year-old, mm-hmm. Was there a moment for you when you were kind of thinking, "Oh, this this is this is getting quite real," you know, and I could become a footballer?
2: Yeah, it was. I mean, the, the closer you get to the YT, mm. you know, the the, re, the realization is: well, you're going to do it, irrespective of whether you push on as a career or not. You're going to do it every day for two years. So, in essence, you you were being paid a wage, albeit a mm, small one, yeah. but you were being paid to play football essentially or learn your craft. And as you go up through the ranks, um, you, you realise that... So I was the only one at under 11 or 11s when I went in who made it as a, as a YT. So others came in later and went on to become YT's with me, but I was the only person from that group. So I came in relatively late into that group mm. and I was the only one who was in that group who went on to, yeah. to become a YT. So I always see that as a, as, a, as a special memory. You know, Whilst I didn't make it a career at playing football at the highest level. Um, I still see it as a fond memory nonetheless and, and one that I'll, I'll always be proud of. Um, but as you go up through and you're starting to, to play in games, we didn't have like floodlit cups and things like that, but I was playing for Devon, I was playing for Plymouth Schoolboys and we were playing in national cups and getting to semifinals and I remember playing against Joe Cole and, oh,
1: right. you
2: know, so he was my age and, and we got beat, I think it was a schoolboys game, we got beat 2-1. Um, I think he, I'm think i sure he scored two. Um, but just, just, you know, you're playing against players of that caliber and people kind of know who you are as well, especially playing for Devon and yeah. you're okay, well, actually, I think I'm well sought after and well thought of um, and then you just wait for that moment to be offered a, a YT because they only offered five out of the 16 and you're one of them. So, it's a special moment. You just feel sorry for those who you've built a friendship with who don't quite perhaps get that opportunity. Yeah.
1: And the, the YT, again, just go over, is a, is, a, is basically the scholarship. It thing, is, yeah. You know? So it's that yeah. final two years when you're kind of 16, 17, 18, yeah. before you might get offered the pro. Yeah,
2: the so pro it's essentially your next passage through. Yeah. You, into full-time football. So we finished school at at year 11. So my years 12 and 13 were as a full-time professional apprentice, Mm. two-year scholar at the football club where we came in every day. And um, we did our bits and pieces as well as play football.
1: Yeah. Who was the first team manager at the time then? Kevin Hodges. Kevin Hodges. And who would have been in your YT group?
2: So my year group, it wasn't a particularly illustrious group that went on. So players like Neil Mallet, uh, Stuart Berry, Simon Parnell, that was the four of us from Plymouth yeah. that were offered scholarships or YTs. Uh, Joe Broad was someone who came in a little bit later, but when he came in, was was a really good player. The best one of the lot who should have gone on was a lad called Darren Basto. So Darren was from way mm-hmm. um, made his debut for our first team. As a 17-year-old in his first year, so we were first-year scholars or YTs, and he made his debut. And he, I think, if he was playing in the modern game, he would be a different player. He would kick on. He right. was, he was so good. He was like, he was the one that did it. And I remember his, his debut. Actually, he, he, we played Brentford. I think it was in a cup game, and you got someone like Herman Haridason, who went on to play in the Premier League for Charlton. Daz has come on. And uh he scored the third, I think Argo won 3-0 and he scored the third goal. And he's just danced past Horidison was like he wasn't there. Hit this kind of deflected shot, looped up in, and I remember it's all sitting in the stand. Just but Daz would just what I loved about Daz is he just played the moments. He wasn't phased by anything. Um and then he, he had another year where he went on and kicked on and, and played quite regularly in the first team. And uh, so he was probably the one who had the the best career out of our age group, I'd say, Mm, albeit a short-lived one.
1: Yeah. Well, just looking at him now, um, 53 games he played Mm. in the end for for, for Argyle. And yeah, that that debut goal (laughs) against Brentford, bang on. And and so it was him and and Joe Broad that out of you, your group, that went on on. to actually play. Yeah.
2: I mean, above my age group. So when you come in, you come in as a first year and you've got your second years. Mm. So that included the likes of Stevie Adams, Kev Wills, um, Lee Phillips, So people who went on and and did well in the the game, Um, Mm. Jamie Morrison-Hill, Andrew Hampton, you know, so people who might not have made it to the, you know, the pinnacle of first team football, but had good careers, especially locally. And then the year below me, the most, the standout one probably is Luke McCormick, who went on. It's quite a standout one. Yeah. So, you know, went on and had a career as a regular in the championship. Yeah.
1: Did you, how close did you get, do you think, to maybe being like, even at least called upon to be in in the first team?
2: Yeah. I'm going to say I'm going to say not close because it sounds like excuses. Um I suffered with a lot of injury in my first year so for the first 12 months I was injured for eight of them. Mm. I had two bad ligament damage in my my ankles. Um and when you've got eight months of not playing and yeah. just sitting around and and back then as well we didn't have the luxury of sports science and strength and conditioning and you know you come back and you break down again but I remember my second year in particular. You know you've got a few months left and I, I did kick in. I had a good 3 or 4 months where I was at the top of my game and started to play really well. And I remember playing in a couple of reserve games. Um Steve McCall was the um assistant manager, so he would play in, in the games.
1: Right, okay. Wow.
2: And I remember a game against Swansea in particular and I had a really it was out on home park and I had a really good game. Um I think we might have won 3-1 or 2-0 or, or something and and I and I was involved in all the goals, and I was, I was a dribbler about that. And I was a wide player, so I was dribbling. I had a really good game, and I remember walking off the pitch, and Steve McCall said, "I think you've just played yourself into a contract Oh really? as a pro." So For I someone went like off, Steve McCall to say that as well, who obviously has had. And it was a quite late play. in the year. You know, we're talking like March. You know, towards decision time, or it mm. might have been April, and and then about two weeks later or three weeks, later, I got released, and I was like, oh, and and but I left that feeling. I think I've played myself. For him yeah. to say that yeah, yeah, yeah. meant that they could see something, um, but it never materialised. The one thing I didn't do is I didn't kick on. I didn't go away from the football club and go, right, okay, let's prove these lot wrong that mm. I am capable of doing it. I just, I just went and enjoyed my football locally. I went and played for Torpoint in the Southwestern League, which was a good standard locally. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's when I went and joined the Dockyard. kind of six months later. So I'm not going to sit here and say, oh if it wasn't for that i'd have been a pro I, I i'll always say this though charlie you do need an element of luck yeah yeah of you course. do you, and i'm not saying i was unlucky um i wasn't good enough essentially but um there are people who have who have had lives out of you know making a living out of playing football who just had that element of luck at the right time um and good luck to them and you know that's what I say to all young footballers here. I remember saying to Lloyd Jones when we were under thirteen or fourteen, and he does say to me, he never forgets that. I said, as hard as it is to make it as a pro,
1: somebody has to. Yeah, yeah, and it's something, isn't it? Something like zero point one percent of academy players end up yeah. playing professional yeah, football. Yeah, so, so that 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 zero point one percent is so small, but mm, it will. But someone go has to.
2: Someone. to so yeah. why can't it be you? Yeah. You know, and Lloyd's gone on and had a good career himself, and. um and, 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 and I wish someone had perhaps said that to me. Um, mm. But it's okay because, you know, one thing I will say as well, Charlie, is people look at that and they say, well, you were, you failed. I don't think I failed. I don't because I look at the career I've got now.
1: Very cynical, harsh people yeah, would say. Yeah, people
2: will say, oh, you failed as a footballer. You're a failed footballer. I'm not a failed footballer. I I didn't play at the highest level professionally, okay. But I went on and had a brilliant non-league career if you Mm. call it a career but an experience where I met loads of good people played a good level of football I was able to go on and get a a good career in in education I now coach I love my coaching as you know and you know if anything that setback has allowed me to carve out my life that I've got now
1: yeah we'll move we'll move on to the coaching bit in just a minute Mm -hmm. but you mentioned the 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 local non-league career that you had which included playing for as you say you know really good level of football Mm. so just kind of kind of go
2: through yeah yeah i'll do it quickly um, what, what people probably don't want to hear all of it but i, I went to Torpoint yeah um and played and we had a good side at Torpoint point because the foot so myself neil mallet simon parnell stuart berry we all got released we all went to Torpoint point for that pre-season right, okay. and andy hampton was there as well so there were five x yt players um in that kind of setup and we had a uh, we went into the juice and southwestern league back then and the standard was decent like St. Blaise were good. The likes of Dave Leonard and mm. Glyn Hooper, uh, Mark Rowe. You know, Mark Rowe played yeah. here. They were they were good, you know, and you, you'd look forward to playing against them. Um, Porth Levin, you know, Grits Martin Gritton played at Porth Levin before he came into the club here. So the standard was decent. Um, went and played there for a couple of years and then joined Liscard. So I went down there. Uh, Liscard came in for me and, and, and offered to, to sign me and I went down there. And then I got injured. I got injured playing in this Cornwall Senior Cup final um against St Blaise I I'd ruptured my ACL in a in the cup final. And uh Yeah, so that, that knocked me out for eighteen months or so. I didn't play for a while. Um come back and um I I joined Millbrook um to play with Roger Feiss and 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 played there for a bit. And then went back to Liscard under the day Leonard, and spent mm. three or four seasons before Lens went to Truro. And then, as it kind of moved forward, I spent a season at Falmouth, and then we went to Parkway with Lens yeah. again. And then went to finish, you know, if you call it the end of my playing days at Saltash. So I spent five years at Saltash, um, where I ended up as kind of caretaker assistant manager, if you will, for a few months just to kind of steady the ship before I left mm. and
1: finished. <laughs> Can you believe
0: You're listening to the Argyle Podcast, the official podcast of Plymouth Argyle Football Club.
1: Let's go into the coaching then. And um, you've mentioned it quite a lot and everybody will know who's watched Argyle TV or listened to the commentaries, you know, just how much you do love it. As as you said just a little earlier on, so when was the first sort of foray into it? Because you you, you let you left at Argyle at eighteen, mm. went to work in the dockyard, and then you, you mentioned like uh, uh, early on you thought coaching actually is going to be a way that I want to go.
2: Yeah, I mean, as part of our apprenticeship, we had to do different qualifications. One of them was the UEFA C license, mm. so we did that. And Steve Rutter was um, our tutor, and I remember we used to do it. We used to coach each other, really, but I really enjoyed it. I actually enjoyed practice design and what that might look like. And um, that, that kind of got my juices flowing. Yeah. And then I left the club and I went to work in the dockyard. And there was a guy called Phil Cardew. Phil Cardew was the manager of Torpoint Point at the time, but he also had his own football centre called Goals. And I loved it because Goals st- stood for go out and learn soccer, <laughs> which was quite cool. You know, that was Goals. And it's still going really well now. It's based out in Plimstock way now, I think, and they've built a really good infrastructure. And I coached for him over at the China Fleet Club just from community sessions. And I learned off a guy called Andy... um, I forget his surname now. What's he called? Anyway, one of the guys down there who was uh, fantastic just with the kids and me learning how to interact. Um, And that was kind of my first experience of it every Mm. Thursday night over the the China Fleet Club. Uh, Andy Stearns it was. Um, And then... From there, it kind of just started to evolve a bit more. I started to do a bit more coaching. There was the opportunity then to go and do my B license. And I thought, yeah, I'll go and I'll work on that. I fancy a bit of that. Um, and then I enrolled with Jamie Morrison Hill. And then Dave Leonard at the time was the manager of Lisgard And he said, mm, Do you want to come in work? Because Hilly was already working in the academy. I think he was doing the 14s. And Lenny said, Do you want to come in work in the academy? You know, you've been involved in it. You know what mm-hmm. the, the experiences are like. And i trying to give a little bit back to the young players. I was like, do you know what? Yeah, I'd like to do that. Because one thing I always... When I look at upon it now, Charlie, I look back at my playing time, I can't really remember what I was taught. I was trained. And I was, you know, we were told what to do and how to do it. I wasn't really told why I was doing it. Right. And that always intrigued me. So I thought, well, if I'm going to go back in the academy, one of my biggest things, I put a big premium on education... I want to educate players to know why they're doing something before they know what to do and how to do it. Let's start with the why. Mm. And that's always been one of the biggest um, priorities of my development when I work with, with players. Like, why are we doing this? Rather than let's just do some training. Yeah, what? Why are we doing it? And from there, it's grown. From there, it's grown. And I spent, like I say, 13 years in the academy. Um, Lenny left quite quickly because I had a bit of a shake-up. And that's when... Um, Gordon Bennett Mm. and Mike Pedgick come on uh, came in and Mike Pedgick was my biggest influencer of understanding coaching he was the one that allowed really got me to look at the game differently Um, but I was in there weird so I was the under 12s lead by that stage Nance was the 14s lead and a guy called Chris Soonas. No, Alan Evans was the under-16s lead and then Pedge did the 18s. Mm. So we were, we were the age group coaches where they get offered two-year deals yeah. to kids at those stages. So he put in place me, Nance, Alan Evans um, and himself as the kind of four that were not any more superior to any of the coaches, but I, th- I was quite proud to have that kind of age group, that 12s. Um, and then it kind of built up from there.
1: Yeah. What <clears throat> What is, in your opinion, then, as someone who obviously has been through the, this system as a young player, and also have coached in it for, as you say, thirteen years, mm. you know, what what are the key things to get across to players? You know, because we've already said so few go on to make it, but then they go on to have either great playing careers in mm. local non-league football or they might go in to another academy or another club and play or they might come in and coach because a lot of the academy coaches have been involved in yeah. football at some yeah. some pretty high level in their playing career so if I were to like say to you if a an 11 year old comes into your under 12 team what are you what are you hoping to be able to get across to them just maybe if they get released at the end of the two years they're with you that they might think, oh yeah, that was a really good thing that Aaron Aaron told me, Aaron Cousat told me.
2: Don't fear failure. Because if you fear making errors and failing, you won't showcase what you're capable of doing. So I try the first thing I do whenever I work with a new player is try to build an instant connection with them. Hmm. So don't fear failure because if I if they know that how much I care about them and I want them they want I want them to do well. I think they'll be willing to take a risk. And if they take a risk, they might surprise themselves. And if it isn't what they achieve, if they get released, if that's the right word, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that doesn't mean that they've, um, they've failed. And I've, I've, I've spoken to players recently who haven't been offered scholars or haven't been offered a new contract. And I tried to say to them, don't let someone else define who you are. You, you define who you are. So if you want to stop it and not do it anymore, that's fine because you've made that decision. But don't let someone else's view define who you are. Mm. Why don't you go out and prove to people what you're willing to do to define who you are in whatever walk of life that is. Mm. Um, and that's, you know, my, my playing time is now done, which is fine. And I can let go of that. I'm still trying to be the best coach I can be even now at 41. You know, I'm fortunate to have my A licence and my Advanced Youth Award and all things like that. And I've got my master's in sport and exercise medicine. And, you know, I lead a master's programme at uni and high performance sport coaching. So I'm, I'm doing okay in terms of experience, but I still chase being better. Yeah. And how I see the game now is completely different to how I see it or how I saw it when I was twenty. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah.
1: Let let's talk about, you know, some of the experiences then you had in the academy. Mm. And as you said, you kind of went up through age groups as well, up to up to sixteens. But um, you know, players that you saw, players that went on, obviously, didn't go on. Um, you know, tell us about some of those times.
2: They I mean, they were good times. They they, they were they were, in fact, they were they were excellent times. You know, seeing kids' journeys develop mm. is is lovely because you you see them at under tens, and then you see them at. I'm seeing players now playing for play, like Truro Parkway, doing really well. Real Garces and people like that, Tom Parrington, Aaron Galti, who, who people will look at them and go, "Well, you failed." Well, they mm. haven't really because they're they're earning good money. You know, they're playing a very good standard of football and they've yeah. probably got good jobs, you know, so they, and they're they having a great experience and a great time. And, you know, I, I get great satisfaction in seeing them go on, you know, and knowing that you've had a small part to play. I, I, I see coaching is very much in the background. It's not about me and listen to what I say and I give you all this wisdom. It's about me standing out the way and going when you need me let's let's work on it but you take immense pride charlie in trying to develop a program of structure or a program of learning to aid their development and one thing mike pajic taught me very quickly was to look beyond the result don't worry about chasing results mm-hmm. and i don't i've i've never done that i've never done that and you know i remember um, a new coach coming in to me years ago saying why have you done that and I think we were playing a game one day and I like, took two players off and just had a chat with them and said look this is what I want you to be doing and was like we're playing with nine players here like I don't care that that scoreline no one will remember that scoreline mm-hmm. but these two players might never forget the information that they're about to receive go out and go again plus they can learn to deal with two less players that'll happen in sometimes where they're playing in a game and they have two off or injuries or whatever that's fine for ten minutes or five minutes and so I learned quite quickly it was about the player not the outcome, the scoreline. Mm. Um, and a- any player I work with now, especially young players, I always ask them, did you play today? And they go, yeah. And I say, how did you do? And yeah. they go, we lost 4-0. Or one 4 I go, So I didn't ask the score. I said, how did you do? Because yeah. I'm not interested in the score because whilst winning is important, it is important for children to win, um, the development is is key for me. Um, and then, see, and and you know, you've probably heard me talk lots about Mr. Randall, but, Randall was the true underdog story for me in that he was attacker. He'd come in at 11, 12 years old, this little lad, you know, and all the way through to 16, he was still attacker, you know, and we used to surround him with the big boys almost and look at him now, you know, we just needed time to allow his body to grow into his mind and, you know, the rest is history. But, but seeing players go on and, and progress and, you know, enjoy their football still, we want them to to
1: be lifelong participants of this beautiful game you know so mm. it's great yeah the that um i th- i actually remember you telling me a, a story about um Adam's team as mm. well when you were coaching and what how old was he then was it 14s
2: yeah so I'd add at 14s like kind of 15s and 16s yeah. really but I knew of him at 12s and yeah, 13s yeah, yeah. it was Stony that kind yeah. of had him first yes um, and I
1: think actually maybe Stoney said the same thing sorry to everybody that was in that age group that went through but I think both of you said that you didn't win a lot of games and that's but, but that's maybe the whole oh, thing no, we about didn't. what you were no, saying yeah. about as long as we're making it and, and Adam's come out of that and been. You know he's a he's a mainstay in the first well, in the championship. If,
2: I mean, the the players in that group you had the likes of Rio Garcia, Tom Perrington, Mike Peck, George Tucker, um, Harrison Harvey, Sel. Um, there, there were none of them you would say or haven't gone on other than Rans to kick on as a career. Um, however, they're all playing really good standard of football. Like Mike mm. Pecks out in the states doing a football scholarship. George Tucker's gone up to uni up, up the line towards London. I think he might be playing at Slough. You got Rio, um, Aaron Goldie, Tom Purrington all playing at Parkway. You know their standards of football is is extremely high. Um, but we as a as a so as it individually they were very strong. Yeah. Collectively, it just never seemed to click. We we'd, we'd win. Let's say we played ninety games over three years. Probably count on one hand how many games they actually won, but it didn't matter. Mm. It, it really didn't matter. It was about it was about the manner as well. It wasn't just about oh we've lost. It was the performance. There were times where we played brilliantly well and got thumped, you know six seven one, but we played well. But I used to look at the size of the op- opposition. Bournemouth in particular were monsters, like physically so much more developed. And I was like, yeah. well, there's nothing we can do here physically. They're miles ahead, so we can't control that. So let's just control what we can control, i.e., let's set our stall and let's try and do this. And I used to just sit, set those individual targets. Don't worry about the scoreline. Let's focus on this for fifteen minutes. Can we not do this, or can mm-hmm. we do that? And then the players, you know, I speak to Rans quite regularly, and he used to say it was quite demoralising losing week in week out. But at least we had some realistic challenges to try to achieve.
1: Yeah. Let's talk about some of the other players that um, have have. That you worked with mm-hmm. and, and actually never played for Argyle, but have had amazing careers. And we saw one of them very recently yeah. in Sam Gallagher, that that came back um, with Blackburn and Lloyd Jones. I know is someone that you keep in contact very, very regularly yeah. with. He was another one that went off to Liverpool, didn't he? Yeah. Um, captain their youth teams pretty much all the way through. Christian Walton, we've seen back at home park a lot with Ipswich. Yeah. So you know w- when you see those guys go off and being part of a, an Argyle development mm. centre, the academy, but seeing them go off and play at massive clubs, Southampton, Brighton, Liverpool. Yeah. Um, how do you feel as a coach when that happens? Because obviously you're trying to develop players for Argyle, but as you've already said, you have a pretty personal connection with these mm. guys. So if they go off and do something and get the opportunity to go to Liverpool, for example, with Lloyd, yeah. what's that like?
2: It's, it's obviously very pleasing mm because whilst it's not purely me as to why they're at that level, I've had a a contribution, how big, how small people can define that themselves, but I've had a contribution. But what it proved is that them going off to these big academies, they were sought after. So it proved that we were developing them to a level that would have been at that level. Had they gone in there, had they lived more closer to those clubs. So, you know, we got them ready for that next step. Um, And it, you, you, it's very. I'm very proud to, to be part of that. Um, but a lot of the credit goes to Mike Pedgick there because he was very clear in what he wanted us to and how he wanted us to play. The 12s played exactly the same as the 13s, 14s, 15s, 16s in that we wanted these types of players for these types of roles. Um, and we would build that craft. You know, I remember we played a game up at Swindon and our one of our aims was to not let Christian Walton kick the ball from his hands. Oh, really? And he didn't kick it once. We threw it out. or He can play it on the floor, pass it out. But that was, you know, that was before the Pep Guardiola era of um, playing with the goalkeeper and all things mm-hmm. like that and how obvious it and how evident it is now. But that was one of the games. Like, like can we actually just distribute the ball with in- intelligence rather than just boom it? Um, and we, we we were successful. I remember Christian come running off, like saying, Aaron, I didn't kick it once. He was really happy with himself. And it was great. And, you know, I can't even remember the score, Charlie, but I remember us playing... It didn't matter because we played really, really well. But every player wanted to achieve that kind Mm. of um, agreed and shared objective. Um, And and seeing them go on. And what's good as well is not go on to academies because they left at 15. So it's easy to go to an academy at 15 and then not kick on. But all three of them in particular have gone on and kicked on and had careers. So, you know, we got them to a certain level their new clubs took them to the next level, which allowed them to have careers in the game, which is great to see. And seeing Sam at the weekend playing, I haven't seen Sam for well over 10 years, 15 years. It's fantastic, you know?
1: Mm. I'm going to ask a very cliched question. Mm -hmm. I apologise right now for that, (laughs) but but it it needs to be asked. Um, When you see a tiny Adam Randall Mm. or a, a, a pretty small, skinny Mike Cooper or, you know, a young... Ben Purrington Sam Gallagher, Lloyd yeah. Jones. What what from what you can remember, what was your sort of opinion of them when you kind of first saw them? Was it like these are the guys that are going to go off and, and and make it at the top top level in the game?
2: The Lloyd, Sam and Christian, not so much because they were my first experiences, okay. in the, so I didn't really know any different. So I, was, I thought, "Well, was this the level?" Is it? They were they were a strong age group by the way, very strong. Um, but I think the game's so different now. I mm. think the, the, the level of coaching's got so much better at the earlier years. But seeing those three in particular kind of push through and then go on, I used to u- then use them as a bit of a benchmark on, on what to expect. But they are three different players. One's a goalie, one's a centre-half, one's yeah. a forward. So it wasn't a case of they need to fit this mould. But Adam in particular, it was because he was so slight, could he handle the ball? What was his spatial awareness like, his decision-making, and his tenacity? Adam had a tremendous amount of tenacity. I'm not talking about big tackling, but just the, the willingness not to give up. Mm. And that's a mindset thing. And I'm not convinced, uh, some people might prove me wrong, that you can coach that. All you can do is be supportive. Um, but there'll be other players who haven't gone on to have a career who would have had similar attributes to Adam, just, just got given the opportunity um, but testament to you know, I speak to Ranz now, and he says that he always wanted to be the best player, and he came to training believing he was the good, pl- the best player. Um,
1: did he ever wear a Randall shirt? Did he? Training? Yeah. Name no, he, no, he shirt. didn't. To be fair,
2: no. I think <laughs> those things went have out have in the nineties. That all died out. Yeah, but he would, you know, yeah. he, but he took. Charlie, you won't mind me saying this. He was never the standout every mm. week. You know, you go on to a pitch. He wasn't. You know, I speak to guys at, at Exeter and they used to kind of, they call it the merry-go-round. It was, oh, we think Rio Garside is the best one of that three out of Randall Garside and Tom Perrington as the midfield three that we had. And then six months later, oh, Perrington's the best one. And then, oh no, it's Randall. You know, and they just right. did the merry-go-round, you know. Mm. And, and that's how development works. It's very non-linear. Um, you know, and, and in another world, uh, another time, we, we talk about Real Garci playing out there or Tom Perrington and not Adam you know and I'm not saying I'm not taking anything away from anyone he just took his chance and he, and he pushed on but intelligence and willingness to get better um, is something I look for in players can they handle the ball I don't care about their size can they handle their, mm. the ball and can they protect their space yeah. and if they know how to do that then they'll do
1: okay
0: This is the Argyle Podcast.
1: Let's talk about now, um, at, or the last few years. So, mm. left the academy in twenty sixteen. Did you say? Yes, in 16, yeah. 17. Um And and so that 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 moment, you know, wh- why? Firstly, you know, wh- you'd spent such a long time, obviously, mm. by the academy and seen things through. But you know, why then? What what was the reason?
2: Two things. One, I think I was just ready for a bit of a change. Mm. And two, my I because I was taking the sixteens it was very much Saturdays game day was Saturdays and I was kind of still playing a little bit at Saltash and it was like well I can't do that I can't do this and then um, my firstborn born was, was very young he was born Theodore was born then and I was seeing I wasn't seeing him very much and when he's a newborn I was like well I didn't see him I was working all day and then mm-hmm. four nights a week I was out coaching and still training and playing and then Saturdays I was doing the football where Oxford away you're, you, you leave at six and you're back at six and I wasn't seeing him and I was starting to get a little bit upset about that. Um, and a few things here that I didn't quite agree with, which is fine. I mean, that happens in, in setups and, you know, I, I, I everyone will have their grievances at times in their lives. And I, I just felt that I was I was being unfairly treated at times when I thought, Do you know what? It's probably just time for a break. It's time to step away um, and it's OK. And I can go away with good memories. Um and then go and do something new. And I went and worked and still work now in kind of one of the local centres. But then I started doing my own stuff, you know, just locally where players were reaching out, academy mm. players are saying, Can we do a little bit of work? And that's when I think my, my approach of coaching has changed. So now I start to delve into position specific coaching. Yeah. Um, where I thought I could offer a service that isn't available currently in a squad session know I know it from firsthand that it's very hard to get the best out of every individual and focus on every individual when you've got 16 of them in there and you've got them for an hour and a half so I thought well maybe I could start to offer something that's slightly different the position specific detail of what they need and by that stage 2016 I'd achieved my a license and I'd done my advanced youth award and I was ready to add new layers to my game and that's when I really started to study the game at the top end and what that looked like and that's led more recently to working with you know some of the boys here, and and a lot of the academy boys still today. Just to add those details in those layers.
1: Yeah, and on on that, so that's that's individual one on mm-hmm. one on one coaching or one on two coaching. Yeah. position specific. So let's you know let's take an example of a player. Yeah. Coming to you, and what are they? What are they? What is that? How it works? They come to you and and yeah. So
2: they yeah they'll they'll reach out and they'll say. Can I do a little bit of work? Um, I want to do. I want to focus on this and this. So, if they're an academy player, they'll have an individual development plan, an IDP, and they'll have their strengths and they'll have their areas of development. Mm. And two things: it's easy to jump straight to the areas of development and go, "I want to work on all of this." And I'll go, "Okay, well, what are you really good at?" And I'm actually really good at that. Well, why can't we make that even better? Because that might be the thing that gets you through the door. But it's their choice, you know. and And I've got a good relationship with Phil Stokes, the academy manager. And the academy coaches, so I'll reach out to them at some point and say, look, I'm working with this player. Um, tell me a bit about them if I don't know them. So I've tried to make sure we're cohesive with our communication. And then we just, I try to break the, the game down, Charlie, into what needs they have and what awareness they have. I always start with probing them with questions. Tell me about, about this. What do you do that? Why do you do this? And a lot of the time when I get to why, they don't know. Yeah. And as soon as they don't know, I go, right, let's just fill your brain with knowledge. And then if you can take that knowledge away, you can start to self-diagnose on a, in a game. So if we can understand process, and I can get them to understand why they're doing that process, it means that when they get the outcome, they understand why they got that outcome. And the, the, the second thing we always talk about is not chasing flawlessness. We don't want perfection because As soon as it isn't perfect, you go. It didn't work. Oh, what now? You know. So we say, look. As long as you understand the process, you know why it works. We'll build it in from there. And I've become quite studious with the game, especially watching Premier League games on TV. It's a bit geeky, really. I'll I'll pause the game.
1: I've seen your tweets. Yeah.
2: Yeah. (laughs) I'll I'll pause the game and I'll kind of just draw, like you know, an imaginary line or a box around something. And I thought that's that's a practice there. Look. So that, and when we do small group sessions, I'll try to do them in areas of the pitch that are representative of where they play. Mm. So that when they go on to a pitch on game day, whether it's Home Park, whether it's Salt Mill, whether it's Tothill, the, there's always two touch lines, there's always two goals, there's always a center spot, there's always two boxes. Like if we do it in that area, it becomes familiar to them. And mm. if they can understand those representative pictures, they kind of understand the process of where they are. So it, it adds that layer of, of recognition and familiarity. Yeah.
1: Mm. And, 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 you, and you do that with, obviously, academy players, as you said, yeah. but also with pros, mm-hmm. um, some of which will be in our squad, some of which might be in other yeah. squads, yeah. players that you've worked with previously. What I'm kind of interested in there is how that, how that does work with the coaching staff or the management staff at, the club, mm. you know, because I'm guessing you don't you don't want to be giving information to a player and then the their manager turns around oh, and says, no. oh, "Why are you doing that?" No, like, absolutely not. No, my so job. How, do, how does that sort of work?
2: Very much at an individual level. Yeah. So my job is not to interfere with any tactics mm. to be saying, "Well, you shouldn't be doing what he." No way. That's not my yeah, my yeah. gig at all. But yeah. so from that level, normally in off season we'll do some work and we'll get on the pitch and we do some bits and pieces, but we also look at game clips and we talk about their individual nature of game clips. So I might say, well, what did you do there? Or I like what you did here. And they'll Mm. go, Oh yeah, but because I did that and I know that I did this, you know? And um, so we talk about very much the individual game and where it went well and why it didn't go so well. So I see, that's a different form of coaching for me. That's coaching off the pitch. That's maintaining relationships. And I think, Trust is a big thing in that relationship. I've got to get them to a point where they trust me to know that I've got their best interests at heart. I want them to do well and I'm not going to interfere. My job is to not say, oh, tactically you shouldn't, that's who am I to say that, you know. I'm just here to help Is on the individual level. Yeah. Um, and also just to, I think it helps them to have an impartial voice. So I've got no affiliation to the first team. I've got no affiliation to the coaches in the first team. Um you know, of different clubs of players I work with across across the country and I we just talk about them. This is York moment and they and they can they can tell me their feelings and how they're feeling and you know we had one last year, one player in particular who was feeling a little bit aggrieved. The club that he was at was up the line and he went on and did really well the second part of the year because we got him to focus more it's more like psychological approaches, focus on the things he could control mm-hmm. and he was playing for a club where um you know, some of the players around him perhaps weren't at his level. So he was getting really frustrated. I said, well, you can't control that. Let's just focus on what you can control and actually get them to buy into what you want to do and work through it that way. And then they start to get a little bit of harmony. And, you know, he he was really happy at the end of the year and he had a successful year. So, yeah, so very much on the individual nature, the level.
1: Yeah, and and it, it is something that you see quite a lot in football now. Like you see, especially with Instagram and stuff, mm. you see like Premier League players, international players will go off in an international break or a, yeah. or a summer period, or or even pre season to like Dubai or yeah. South of Spain, and they've got they've got their personal coach who, as you I presume, as you say, kind of is working on either a set skill that they might want to improve yeah. on, or, yeah. or that maybe it's just a psychological thing. It's maybe. something that is a, yeah. you're seeing a lot. Yeah, like it's not. I like call them tune, tune ups, Charlie. They tune come in ups. for a
2: tune up. Yeah. You know, whether that's a tune up of physically having a you know contact work or just to have a chat just how you doing how you playing you know we talk about that and I'm doing all right oh I'm not doing well here and I'm struggling with that and we go what are you, what you know and we'll look at clips and we might just pause it and say look did you know oh and they go do you know what I didn't notice that all right well that might be the reason so all we do is just spark up conversation that might get them to think slightly differently and look at it slightly differently mm. um I look at the game so differently now as someone who's a little bit older and to, to where I was years ago where we just did activities and drills. I mean, you talk about the Instagram stuff. I look at some of the stuff on Instagram and I scratch my head a bit. I'm not not saying I'm the high watermark of all coaching, but I scratch my head and people say, oh, this is amazing. And I'm like, is it really? But, you know, it just looks intense and it looks cool. But then I question how much detail is going into it from, you know, our job is to to impart knowledge for the player to take it out and use that knowledge. Mm. You know, and and I remember Ryan May, who's now the um, head of coaching at Aston Villa. He was our... FA youth coach educator when I was at the club here and he said, you want to you try and get to a point in your coaching career where you make yourself redundant so you give all that knowledge but they understand why they're using that knowledge so they start to self-diagnose out there.
1: Very very interesting point actually and we'll kind of bring it f- full circle back to sort of the first team now and, and what have you but that's one of Stephen Schumacher's real big things is letting players... Mm. Mm kind of work it out themselves. Like he, he, I think he was saying to, I think it's common knowledge anyway. Sorry, Gaffer, if it's not, <laughs> Um it definitely is. He, when he did his pro license, mm. which he qualified from a couple of years ago, he went into rugby, uh, Sale Rugby Club. Yeah. And they are very big on that, a bit like American football with their sort of unit meetings, which are led by players, Yeah, coaches there to kind of help facilitate it. And he, I know the club do, unit meetings here and he has that sort of thing where he just puts it back on the players. Like That's the situation. Why did it go wrong? How can you deal with it?
2: It's such a and clever it, way. Yeah. It's, it's leadership. It's really good leadership because one, two things for me, it creates accountability. So it allows mm. the coaching staff to say, well, hang on, this is what you agreed. Yeah. So whilst you don't offload the blame and say it's your fault, you say collectively we're clear and those messages are clear. And it also allows um, the players to feel val- to feel valued, I think, they feel part of it, so therefore, what they want our views on it. yeah, we do. we want you to tell us what we what it feels like to be out there and what you could be doing better mm. and then, if you feel valued in something you you want to you want to do your best for that that section, that unit, that team, that squad, whatever um, so that 's the kind of modern coach I think the coaching has changed shifted so much, and it 's more about maintaining and building relationships as much as it is the x 's and the o's on the training ground. Mm. You know, if you haven't got players' buy-ins, then they're just going to do what they're told. They're not actually going to do what they truly believe in. And, you know, it's no it's no coincidence why this football club in particular has done so well over the last two years. And I think I mentioned it last week. I think Neil Duesniff has a lot of credit to, to be had about that as well, the mentoring side of it, right through to the academy, all the way up through to the first mm. team and, you know, how kind of cohesive it is now. Yeah.
1: Just, just finally, mm. um, you've thrown your hand to punditry. I have R- yeah. rather forced by me, I feel. Yeah, um, but uh, I hope you like it. <laughs> how, how have, you, how have right. you found the last? Yeah,
2: game? yeah it's, it's all right. Come you know, me. it just fills a void on a Tuesday evening <laughs> or a Saturday afternoon. I'll never forget it, Charlie, because it was Stony. Actually, yeah. it was yes, the Youth that's Cup that's game. True. Yeah, it was the Youth Cup game. He said, "We need someone to do the comms." you were around. It was like Tuesday at like one mm-hmm. o'clock yeah. and I'd already agreed yeah. to meet my mate, actually Neil Mallet, I'm still pals with okay. now, I go down the driving range. So I was like, oh, I'm, oh, I, I didn't want know, to, yeah, so, you know, and I, and, and I said, look, I, I, thanks, I'd love to do it one day but I've I've made a, you know, I'm going to go in go down the driving range i remember my wife was like what are you doing you can see me anytime just go and do it and i was like no 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 and then i said to ian as you do oh but in the future if you fancy you know if you need me in the future i'll happily go again and then thinking nothing of it and then a week later (laughs) can you do the comms for the first team game away at burton i was like yes please i'll have a go at this and i didn't know what to expect and i thought "Uh uh-oh because i remember after i said immediately yes i was like "Uh uh-oh um Oh, God, what? What? And then, like anything, you know, I work in education, so I needed to prepare, so I started to do my mm. preparation. And, you know, the rest is history, and I hope you enjoy having me, yeah, yeah. it, you know. Uh, absolutely. <laughs>
1: and I suppose that, you know, it is always interesting with um, with broadcasting, because a bit like in football, people, it's a bit of a squad, so people bring different skills. And you've got, you know, the likes of Stoney or Mark Edworthy, for example, who played, Brian McGlinchey played football, you know, professional football. Yeah to really high standards all played for the club so they kind of know the workings of it and they can talk about stuff from a player's perspective katie middleton similarly you know mm. she played she played football for over 20 years she kind of gets all of that uh, and you know that there you know people might look at you and say, like, well he's never played so how is he going to contribute but you know your whole coaching side in the tactical analysis and like you say pausing stuff on the tv at home you do that when you're Yeah, it's commentating, don't you really? You know, you're you're looking at different ways and explaining why, and it's that's why I think Argyle TV works so well. I think it's the variety. I totally
2: agree. And you know, I I was very aware that I wasn't an ex-player, so I can't I can't say I know what that player will be feeling in the Mm -hmm. middle of the park in front of sixteen thousand people because I would never experienced that. So, you know, I'll always stay true to myself in that. What can I, I? I did think at the time, what can I offer? that perhaps, not others can't, that, that is in my skill set, in my strength. And I'd like to think that I'm a much better coach than I was ever a player. Um, and I can offer something of value to the viewer that perhaps, you know, is, is new, is different. And that, that will be me. That is always me. And I'll always try to look at the game in that way to, to provide a breakdown on my view on why something happened like that or why it went well, why it didn't go so well. And, you know, that's the bit I really love. And mm. I do that kind of, every weekend watching the, t- the TV. Hmm. And now I'm getting the opportunity to do it with the likes of yourself, you know, on game day, which is yeah. fabulous.
1: And you also get to watch the likes of Adam Randall, who you've yes. seen grow all yeah. the way through and, and and play. And, you know, what is what is that like? Because that must be a pretty sort of surreal experience, like seeing a guy you've coached, but also yeah, you're up there talking about him now I
2: know. as a fully yeah. fledged first in player. It's great. It is great. And I remember, I, you know, I remember him as the 12 year old, the, the young player coming through. And I said it to Coop a while ago people don't see the the hours and hours of work up at Ivory Bridge School in the pouring rain. Mm. And when the facility, we haven't got brilliant facilities, you know, we're quite fortunate to have, um, you know, the schools where, when I was there, like the, to have the, the, the 3Gs and whatnot. And no one sees all that. And now seeing it out there, you think, go on, lads, you know, uh, there's no. I've got such immense pride in them for them not for me yeah, this isn't yeah. about me yeah. this is about them and knowing that they're out there living their dream which they are doing as local you know people as they are it's just brilliant Charlie it's brilliant and, and, and naturally I want all the first team players to do well but when Ranz gets the ball I want him to do that you know I want him to do well and you know I was rooting for him to score the I thought we would play well on the weekend I was rooting for him to get, to get a goal and it's just, he's, but they're such, they're such nice people. Like, you know, the local, they're they're all good lads. But if I talk about Rands and Coops in particular, just just normal lads, you know. You chat with them, they're not. I mean, one final story. I said to Rands. You know, we got some stuff signed for a local football club. And I said, oh, they'll go on that people's mantelpiece. And he said, I can't understand why people would want a picture of me on their mantelpiece. I said, well, you're a local hero now, or like a hero of the football club. You know, you're an inspiration to them all. So I just don't understand it, yeah. you know. so that And that just is testament to who they are. They're just normal, really
1: likeable lads. Yeah. Well, Aaron, it's been an hour that's flown by. It has. Thank um, you for having me. No, no problem. Thank you so much for coming on. And just make sure that you don't ever book... A driving range or golf day on a Tuesday or a Saturday <laughs> absolutely just not just in case
2: no 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 you're true and I'll um, yeah I think I've learnt my lesson from there because who knows If had I, you know had that whoever was unavailable for that game um, if they hadn't have been I wouldn't be sat here so but thank you for having me Charlie I'm enjoying my journey it's a new journey in this football club um, and one I've been affiliated now for nearly 30 years yeah. so um,
0: all good fun Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to never miss an episode. This is the Argyle Podcast.
1: Well, thanks a lot for listening. I hope you enjoyed that. If you did and you're new to the podcast, there's plenty of other episodes, well over 100 now, for you to go back to, listen to and enjoy. Uh, They're all on our website, pafc.co.uk. And if you have a suggestion for a guest, someone you'd like to hear from that we haven't spoken to yet, you can always get in touch with us via email. Our address is media at pafc co.uk
0: the argyle podcast subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to never miss an episode